Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman program. So the German elections happened over the weekend. Uh, you know, intelligently, they have their elections on Sundays. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, we can't do that here. That's just like, that makes too much sense. But, you know, they have their elections on Sundays. And some interesting things. I, I just want to speak to this because I think, if nothing else, the coverage in this country of the German election super emphasizes how poorly informed and educated both the American public and the American media are about the United States, about what liberal versus conservative or progressive versus uh, conservative means in the United States versus around the world. Uh, first of all, you know, here's one little, now this is a non-binding referendum. It, it, it didn't change anything, but it was the will of the people. In Berlin, they had a vote on whether to, to uh, buy from, at market rates, buy from these giant real estate developers hundreds of thousands of apartments in Berlin. And instead of having them run on a for-profit basis where you, know, you get the highest rent you possibly can out of them, which is driving up rent prices in Berlin and, and there's a real housing crisis in the city of around five or six million people, it's a major city. Instead, what they voted for, again, non-binding, what they voted for was for the government of Berlin to buy these housing units, these apart mostly apartments, from these uh, two or three very, very large companies. The, the largest is company uh, Deutsche Wohnen, uh, Wohnen uh, which uh, owns 113,000 units, to buy them and then make them available as low-income housing. And it won 56.4 to 39%, which, I mean, just, just having something like that on the ballot in the United States is relatively inconceivable. But this is what happened in Germany. And the, the media coverage increasingly in the United States that you know we're being subject to about the German election is that Angela Merkel is a moderate to a conservative and that she's being replaced by somebody who's a little bit more liberal which kind of makes you think that Angela Merkel who has uh, ruled uh, Germany for you know, been the chancellor of Germany for I believe 16 years 
and is beloved by Germans, by and large, that she must be sort of like, if she's a conservative, she must be sort of like Mitch McConnell, or maybe if she's a reasonable conservative like George W. Bush or, or Ronald Reagan. But think about this for a minute. This woman, Angela Merkel, invited over a million refugees into Germany, came out before the German, which was very unpopular. This was back about five, six years ago during the Syrian refugee crisis when they were filling up Greece and Turkey. And she came out and she said, we rebuilt after World War II. We recovered after the shock of Nazism. We have made it through the, 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 the crash of 2008. We reunified this country, East and West Germany and East and West Berlin. We can do this. I forget the German word, something like Wirtschaft allein or something like that. You know, we can all do this. We can do this. And the German people came together behind her and they brought in over a million refugees in a country of, what, I think 35 million people? Maybe it's 53, but, you know, it's a, it's a fraction of the United States. This, this would be like, you know, five, six, seven million refugees suddenly coming into the United States. And yet she's fabulously popular. This is a country where every company with over a thousand employees, 50% of their board of directors has to be made up of union members. This is a country where everybody has health care and nobody goes broke because somebody gets sick. This is a country where there is no student debt unless you want to attend, you know, a, a, a fancy schmancy university, uh, typically outside the country. Germany is a country that is already to the left of Bernie Sanders. And the fact that Germans want to kind of keep it that way is somehow described as conservative or moderate. This is a country where there is low income housing and in the and in Berlin where there isn't low income or there isn't enough low income housing. The people just voted 56 to 39 percent to nationalize housing. To say to these companies, you know, we're taking it by eminent domain. We'll pay you for it, of course, but we're going to take it. And we're calling this moderate? As if it's like Ronald Reagan? Or George W. Bush? Or we're calling it conservative, like it's Donald Trump or Mitch McConnell. We are so far, so friggin' far behind the rest of the developed world that we don't even have language for it. And, and in the United States, it's like, you know, we just, we have no way to even report on this. The, the, you know, the largest divide, I remember when I was doing this show in Denmark and I was debating, I, I had asked Danish Radio, they're, they're the NPR of Denmark, uh, loaned us a studio for a week or two, as I recall. I, I think it was a week, it might have been two. Louise and I were there together. In fact, on our Saturday uh, Hartman report, I, I put a picture of the two of us. It was right after we'd gotten there, it was a long flight. My eyes were a little bloodshot from not sleeping on the plane, but in any case, um, 
I was in the studios of Danish radio, and I had on, and I had asked the producer, I, you know, I love to debate conservatives, so I asked the producers, get me some conservative politicians, and they got me a couple of members of parliament who were the most conservative. And so I get one of them on, and I say, boy, you're a conservative, you must hate this national health care system, right? And he's like, what, are you crazy? Why would, I want, why would I want to do away with the national health care system? It's the cheapest, most efficient way to do it. Those are, those are conservative values. And so I'm like, well, you must hate the fact that Copenhagen has closed off like 10 or 20% of their streets and turned them over to bicycles only. You know, that sounds like big government overreach, doesn't it? He's like, what, are you crazy? That's going to lower my taxes. I'm like, how does that lower your taxes? And he's like, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, our taxes pay for our health care. And if more people ride their bikes to work, we're going to have fewer heart attacks and strokes. And my health care tax bill is going to go down. How is that not conservative? And I'm like, well, then what is it that makes you a conservative? And he's like, Denmark's for Danes. In other words, we don't, we don't want people who don't have Danish ancestry in the country. Ethno-nationalism. That's what conservative typically means in most of Europe. Now, there are certainly some you know, neoliberals in Europe as well, which is kind of a whole other topic. And Brexit is really showing those cracks. But basically, the American press does us a massive disservice when they characterize politicians like Angela Merkel as conservative or even as moderate, as if that's the case by American standards. Yes, Germans consider her conservative or moderate. She's going up against the Greens. The Greens, you know, she's like, let's make a 20-year transition to no fossil fuels. And the Greens are like, no, let's make a three-year transition. But that doesn't mean that by American standards she's moderate. We just have no friggin' understanding of how the rest of the world works. And it serves people like Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump really well because we think our politics are normal. And they're not. Our politics are going the way of, of Brazil and Russia and Turkey very, very rapidly. And Hungary. I mean, if you want to look at a European country, Hungary has been there before us. Did you see CPAC is going to be in Hungary next year? Hey, go to where the dictators are. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, they're just giving up on America, the conservatives. Let's go to where the autocrats are. Oligarchy forever. Here's the headline, right, over on Fox News. This is the headline on Fox News a couple days ago. German elections, big shock for Merkel's conservatives as center-left party comes out on top. So Angela Merkel is being characterized in the American press as a conservative. Well, let's see. Did she govern as a conservative? She ran Germany for 16 years. Well, in America, conservatives don't want women to get abortions, right? And some conservatives are even now, you've got a Texas legislator proposing the death penalty for women to get abortions. In Germany, Angela Merkel's conservatives in Germany offer abortions to women in the first three months of pregnancy at no cost if they are low income and with no excuses. 
you do have to get a prescription for the abortion. You do that by going to a counselor uh, who uh, has to, the, the law says, quote, must provide, quote, an open-ended consultation that encourages the woman to keep the child while at the same time not persuading her. No ultrasound hand rapes uh, or wand rapes, excuse me, no gory movies to watch, no multiple visits, no bounties on people who help, number one. Number two, in America, conservatives don't want the government funding or directly providing health care, right? Any sort of health care or health insurance. This should be the free market. In Germany, health care is a right, not a privilege. Everybody has it. If you can't afford to pay for health insurance, the government picks up the tab. If you can't afford, you pay according to a sliding scale based on your income. Nobody in Germany is uninsured. Nobody goes broke or becomes homeless because a member of their family got sick. In America, conservatives don't think unions should exist without government protections. But Angela Merkel's conservatives run a country where every company with over 1,000 employees is required to have half their board of directors made up of members of the so-called works councils, which are you know, kind of a parallel to unions. And uh, IG Metal, the nation's largest union, just recently, and I'm quoting from their press release, won a key demand that workers have the right to reduce their working week from 35 to 28 hours for a period of up to two years in order to care for family members. Have a child? Hey, for two years you get 28-hour work weeks. And wait a minute. Did somebody just say that the normal work week in Germany is 35 hours for full-time pay? Oh, yeah, there's that, too. The conservative government in Germany. In America, conservatives have fought to, to any sort, against any sort of mandatory paid vacation time. In Germany, it's required that you take at least four weeks off and that your employers pay for it. Many employer, employers pay for five or six weeks. Angela Merkel takes it every year. She's you know, a good example. In America, conservatives success, successfully fought so hard against every attempt to have paid sick days that flu season is a danger. You know, you, you go into the office or you go to a restaurant and, you know, the, your fellow worker or, uh, you know, who's sick with the flu might be sneezing on you or in the restaurant, the, the person in the back kitchen or even your server could be sneezing on your food because people are, you know, unwilling to go to take time off without pay. In conservative Angela Merkel's Germany, the German employers are required by law to pay 100% of salary for up to six weeks when employees get sick. The employer can ask for a doctor's slip after three days. And if that person is so sick that they are disabled or, they're, or they got like in a car accident and they're so injured that they can't work at all, the employer must pay a minimum of 70% of salary for 78 weeks. In America, conservatives say we shouldn't take tax dollars from rich people to pay for high, a high-quality public transportation system that reduces carbon pollution and makes it easy for low-income people to get to work or go grocery shopping. Merkel's conservative Germany has one of the best, most modern and clean public transportation systems in the world. And in five cities, they're experimenting with free public transportation to try to hit their clean air goals. In America, conservatives hate the idea of high-income people paying taxes to provide for these things, health care, education, housing, or anything else. In Germany, wealthy people pay a top income tax of 50.5%. I told you the story about the German businessman who on uh, Bloomberg News said, I don't want to be a rich man in a poor man's country, or in a poor country. In America, conservatives say that if you're poor, it's because you're a moral failure. And you deserve whatever happens to you, including living on the streets. The constitution of conservative Angela Merkel's Germany requires all citizens must live with Grundgesicht, or dignity, 
which includes the government doing whatever is necessary to ensure that all citizens have a home, food, clothing, toiletries, furniture, transportation, and enough money to cover the expenses of life. Yes, there are some homeless people in Germany. It's a relatively small number. Uh, they actually have a, what they call a basic allowance, direct cash welfare program for people, for low-income people in Germany. In America, conservatives fight like hell to keep immigrants and refugees out of the country, if, uh, particularly if they're not white or they're not Christian. In Germany, Angela Merkel, during the Syrian war, the Syrian refugee crisis, when they were just overwhelming Turkey and Greece and whatnot, Angela Merkel gave a national speech in which she said, we rebuilt this country after World War II. We reunified this country with East Germany. We have taken on huge jobs and we can bring in one and a half million non-Christian, non-white Syrian refugees. We can do that now. That would be the equivalent of about six and a half million uh, refugees being admitted into the United States overnight. And the German people so took her up on this that as these refugees, as the trainloads of refugees were arriving in cities all over Germany, people were meeting them with flowers and toys for their children. In America, conservatives have fought for years to make people spend longer and longer times in prison because we say, hey, punishment stops crime, right? Plus, our Constitution, the 13th Amendment, says that if you've been convicted of a crime, you can still be held in slavery. Yes, it says that. And most of the former slave states have these old Jim Crow laws that say that if you've ever been convicted of a crime, you can never vote again, you know, which increases the incentives to throw people in prison. This is why we have 810 people in prison for every 100,000 Americans. In Germany, in conservative Germany, Merkel's conservative Germany, imprisonment outside of the most heinous crimes is seen as an opportunity rehabilitation and reintegration into society. So their incarceration rate, keep in mind, ours is 810 people per 100,000. There's 78 per 100,000 people. By the way, our crime rate is twice that of Germany. And they also have a multiracial, multicultural society. In America, conservatives say there shouldn't be any minimum wage and the market should determine all wages. And if we have to have a minimum wage, keep it at 7.25 an hour. When Merkel took over Germany in 2005, there was no German minimum wage at all because the union movement was so successful that pretty much everybody had a really good paying job. Nonetheless, as Germany had embraced during the 1990s and the first decade of the 2000s, you know, neoliberal trade policy and, and cheap Chinese goods were flooding in and Germany was deindustrializing. She pushed through a minimum wage law in 2014 that sets the minimum wage in Germany at around $11 an hour, which when you consider that you have free health care, subsidized housing, a monthly up to $1,300 a month pension with, for low income workers, and free education all the way up to a PhD or MD is like a living wage. In America, conservatives say that paying for college should be on you or your parents. In Germany, conservative Chancellor Angela Merkel pushed through a complete and total abolition of all public college and university tuition. There is no student debt in Germany, unless you came to America to go to college. In Germany, or excuse me, in America, conservatives fight like hell against free, uh, free pre-K education for low-income families. Conservative Merkel pushed through in 2013 a new law guaranteeing seven hours a day of free daycare and education for three to six-year-olds. And in many parts of the country, that goes down to one-year-olds. There's over 790,000 kids under three who are enrolled in these programs, free programs. 
In America, conservatives say if you can't afford a place to live, you always have the streets. In conservative Germany, housing is a right. In America, conservatives have aggressively fought for the right to own and openly carry not just handguns, but weapons of war. Thus, we had 19,000 gun deaths and 611 mass shootings last year. Germany has the highest, the second highest gun ownership rate in Europe. And yet owning a gun in Germany is like owning a car here. You have to pass a proficiency exam, you have to pass a written exam, you have to register it with the government. And that's why in Germany last year, or in 2018, the last year we have numbers for, they had 815 gun deaths in the entire country. And that includes suicides and accidental deaths. In America, conservatives push coal, oil, gas, and nuclear power, while a conservative Merkel in Germany is shutting down the last of the nuclear power plants. And yeah, they've got a new gas pipeline coming in from Russia, but they are building solar panels like there's no tomorrow. In America, conservatives fought net neutrality and killed it. In Germany, it's a felony for your ISP to snoop on you, and they pay half of what we pay for broadband. In America, conservatives fought drug reg price regulation. In Germany, the government heavily regulates drug prices. I mean, it just goes on and on. You know, pesticides in the United States, you and I are the guinea pigs. Germany embraces the precautionary principle. The fact of the matter is that Angela Merkel governed Germany to the left of Bernie Sanders for 16 years. And Germans love her for it. Why doesn't the average American know this? I mean, I'm asking that as a serious question. Why, why are we calling her a conservative? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm going to just make those two last points. I was running out of time and I just kind of jammed on them. 
In the United States, we pay twice what any other country in the world pays for pharmaceuticals, more than twice in many cases. In Germany, the government negotiates all wholesale drug prices. So their floor, their, their beginning point is low. And then on top of that, their law says, and this is for retail pharmacies, because you can go into, you know, I mean, here we've got like uh, little apps with coupons, or you can, uh, if you get a prescription, you can call five different pharmacies and get five completely different prices, ranging from like 20 bucks to 200 bucks. In Germany, the law says, quote, the pharmacy sales price for prescription drugs is determined by adding a margin of 3% to the wholesale price plus a fixed pharmacy service compensation of 8.35 euros and the value added tax. So basically, it's, it's the wholesale price plus 3% plus $10 and your sales tax or the value added tax, the VAT tax. In America, as I said, conservatives have fought for years so that the chemical industry, the pesticide industry, the herbicide industry can use us as guinea pigs, essentially. And now we discover that, you know, Roundup causes cancer, that we have pesticides that are causing birth defects, that Trump re-legalized a pesticide that we now know causes brain damage in children. There are 60,000 chemicals in our food supply, in our toys, in our household products, in our homes, 60,000 untested chemicals right now that you and I are exposed to, 60,000. In Germany, they, instead of, and, and the way that it works in the United States is the classic libertarian thing. Throw it out, if somebody dies from it, they can sue the company. If they sue, then the company has to take it off the market. That's how it works. It's, you know, it's this libertarian theology here in the United States. In Germany, they use the precautionary principle. Before a chemical can be put in a child's toy or, or put in a, a carpet or a piece of furniture or put into food, the company that wants to sell that chemical, that wants to promote that chemical or use that chemical, must first prove that it is absolutely safe. I mean, it just, it, it just goes on and on. The, uh, the internet, I was telling you about, you know, Trump killed net neutrality in 2017. So now your internet service provider can listen in on everything you do and sell that information for a profit. One of our, one of our advertisers, ExpressVPN, uh, you know, I, I, I talk about this all the time. Trump killed net neutrality, so we, need, we use VPNs to, to protect ourselves from the companies that are bringing the internet into our own house. In Germany, it's a felony for an ISP to do that. People go to prison. Well, they don't because they don't do it, but they would if they tried. And while the average cost of internet broadband in the United States for 140 MIPS, that's the average speed in the United States, is $61. That's the average price across the United States. The average in Germany is, the average speed is 250 megabytes per second, or megabits per second, whatever it is. And the average price is $30 a month. Can you imagine spending 30 bucks a month for a high-speed broadband? It's because they mandate, you know, competition. I mean, this is just crazy stuff that we're calling, that we are saying that our press, it's not just Fox News, it's right across the board, that they're saying Angela Merkel is a conservative. What the hell does that mean?
Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. I wanted to just uh, highlight some numbers here. This uh, Andy, Amy Vanderpool, who has been a guest on this program uh, numerous times, does a, a newsletter called Shero, S-H-E-R-O. You can uh, easily find it uh, by looking for her Twitter feed or Googling uh, Shero, S-H-E-R-O. Um, uh, or uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have her URL right off the top of my head, but it's, it's easy to find. And every week in her new, and I subscribe to her newsletter, and I encourage others to as well. It's a Substack newsletter. And every week she documents on uh, Saturdays or Sundays uh, the mass shootings of the previous week. And I just wanted to share this with you. This is uh, my source on this is Amy, Amy Vanderpool's Shiro newsletter. Um, she says, in the last week, there were 17 separate mass shooting incidents in the United States. 20 people were killed, 73 were injured. On Sunday, September 19th, there was a mass shooting in Rochester, New York. There was a mass shooting in Chicago, Illinois. There was a mass shooting on, in Oakland, California. There was a mass shooting in Dallas, Texas. There was a mass shooting in Miami, Florida. And there was a mass shooting in Yamasee, South Carolina. On Monday, September 20th, well, this is last week, Monday, September 20th, there was a mass shooting in St. Louis, Missouri. There was a mass shooting in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and there was a mass shooting in Washington, D.C. On Wednesday of last week, there was a mass shooting in Fayetteville, North Carolina. On Thursday of last week, there were mass shootings in Collierville, Tennessee, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. On Friday of last week, there were mass shootings in Los Angeles and Aiken, South Carolina. And on Saturday of last week, so this, the new, this must be her Sunday newsletter, on, on Saturday of last week, there were mass shootings in Athens, Tennessee, Riverside, California, and Utica, New York. Now, how many mass shootings were there in, say, all of Germany? Probably none. You know, all of France? I don't, you know, I don't know, but probably none. One single mass shooting in, in uh, Japan or in Australia or, you know, makes, makes international headlines. We had 17 of them last week in the United States. 17 mass shootings. We are becoming absolutely numb to mass shootings and violence in the United States. And this is not a healthy place to be. This is not a healthy circumstance to be living in, numb to mass shootings. And frankly, we, we, we really don't have the power and influence of the NRA anymore. I realize the, the big weapons manufacturers are now going directly to many of the legislators that the NRA previously owned. Uh, the NRA kind of just, you know, sank in their own corruption. Wayne LaPierre and his yacht and all that kind of stuff. But this is, this is what you get when you allow an industry, in this case the weapons industry, to create a front group that literally reinvented the history of America to say that the Second Amendment was passed so that average Americans could have a gun to defend themselves and thus everybody should have a gun, when in fact the Second Amendment was passed in part because some of the founders and framers felt that we should not have a standing army during time of peace, and so every state should have a militia that could be called up if the country was ever invaded, number one. And number two, that specifically Virginia and South Carolina were hysterical that Article, two, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, of the proposed Constitution, allowed 
the president, the federal government, to call up the state militias. And they were really, really worried that if their state militias, which were also their slave patrols, were called up by, a, by a, an anti-slavery president, that without the slave patrols, there would be slave uprisings in their states. And they had, they had seen this in, eight, in the, was it 1802 or three or eight, in the first decade of the 1800s in Haiti. It's like they were, it, it, well, actually, at the time of the ratification of the Constitution, that had not yet happened. But they had seen slave uprisings across the United States hundreds and hundreds of times. It was not something that was unknown to them. And so the NRA completely reinvented the history of the, of the Second Amendment, which was not controversial until the 70s when they decided to do this, and got the Supreme Court to ratify it with lots and lots of lobbying and money and then sold hundreds of millions of guns to Americans. And we end up with 17 mass shootings in one week. More than the rest of the developed world has probably in a three month period. And it doesn't even make the newspapers. It takes Amy Vanderpool documenting it in her Shiro newsletter every weekend. There's something seriously wrong here. And again, it goes back to the Supreme Court saying money in politics is just First Amendment protected free speech. I'll be back with your calls after this. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Speaking the truth, the multinational corporations would really rather you didn't know all about it. I'll be right back. Tom Harbin here with you and Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, not too much, Tom. Hey, I just wanted to add, like, there's a couple things you might want to take a look at. One is a Michael Isikoff article about how Mike Pompeo, he was director of the CIA, mainly, apparently, out of embarrassment. He called WikiLeaks a non-state hostile intelligence service. Now, that sounds like word salad. But basically what he did is he green-lighted extraordinary measures that apparently they discussed the assassination of Julian Assange. I know. The story broke uh, over the weekend. It's pretty mind-boggling. It is. And the other thing was CEO of Substack. He did an interview where he was asked about the people, like a, a former New York Times author that apparently has become a COVID truther, a COVID denier. Right. And he has I saw the interview. Back. Yes, and the, the CEO said, well, there is a space for this. You know, I, I feel like I'm maintaining a space. Mm-hmm. Now, this happened in early 20th century Europe as well. Dave, there was, uh, there's a distinction what? here, though, and he, and he made that distinction, and I think it was lost on most people uh, because he didn't make it clearly or explicitly enough. And what he was saying is that, yeah, uh, over on Substack, there is a place for COVID deniers uh, where they can publish their newsletters and they can get a following. But Substack does not have an algorithm that pushes people to content based on trying to make them more and more and more angry and freaked out and upset 
thus, quote, increasing engagement. Facebook and Twitter do have, and, and other social media sites, do have such an algorithm. And so while, when they host that kind of content, and they all claim that they're not anymore, but they all very much are, then what they're doing is aggressively, actively driving people in the direction of extreme content. And therefore, they're having to remove that content because they're unwilling to undo their algorithm because that algorithm is a major source of their revenue. Substack, on the other hand, the major source of their revenue is taking 10% of whatever the, the people who subscribe to various Substack newsletters make. And so they have no incentive to drive people toward crazier and crazier crap. And so therefore, he's saying, we're like the public library. You can still check out Mein Kampf at the public library. And, and you know, we're, we're not driving you there. We're not encouraging you to go there. We're not putting giant signs that say, hey, check this out. We're not throwing it up on your news feed for you to see whether you want to or not, like happens in the other social media. And I think that's a really important distinction, Dave. No, it's an important distinction, and I'm not coming down on any one particular CEO. He just happened to be over the weekend. Look, I'm talking about this proto-fascist environment that we're in. Here's what we have to keep in mind. You have to boil it down, Tom. Look, it's COVID. COVID is a natural phenomenon. Did you see what the Republicans and conservatives are doing with it, right? It is a natural phenomenon that we must work together collectively to protect ourselves from. It is not permanent. They, Donald Trump argued as a medical doctor against Dr. Fauci. He is a cult figure, like Adolf Hitler. All right? We are unable to see the common denominator. The, the, the denominator is, is a natural phenomenon that we must work together to collectively defeat. It is not permanent, Tom. There is, we're, we're losing the, the idea that, you, you see what I'm saying, we're, we're, we're being impeded. Our, our mental faculty is being impeded by a proto-fascist environment. No, I get and that, but I, but I think that also, uh, you know, also I suspect that uh, COVID is going to be something that, that, you know, we live with for a long time. For example, uh, down in uh, Texas, there's a pizza shop owner. Uh, oh, maybe it's in uh, Kansas City. Yeah, it's Kansas City. I'm sorry. His name is uh, Ryan Viscovi. He's 48 years old. He was a popular and beloved pizza shop owner, school board member, uh, familiar smile in Pleasant Hill. And he got COVID back before there was a vaccine. And so he believed Rand Paul, who says, uh, you know, if you've had COVID, you have immunity. You don't have to worry. And, and instead of believing Anthony Fauci, who said, if you've had COVID, you can still get the Delta variant and it can still kill you. Uh, therefore, you need to get vaccinated. So this guy didn't get vaccinated because he thought he was safe. And sure enough, he got COVID and now he's dead. He died from his second round with COVID, um, be, you know, because of that. I, I suspect that we are, you know, and, and Rand Paul and the logic that these guys are promoting is that COVID is like chicken pox. Once you've had it, you never get it again, or, or mumps. Once you've had it, you never get it again. When in fact, COVID is a member of the coronavirus family, uh, the most famous for all of us, member, other member of that coronavirus family is the common cold. It's, it's a virus more like the flu than it is like chicken pox. And, and it, because it mutates and we're not immune to the mutations, which is why you get your flu shot every year. And I'm predicting that, you know, we're gonna be getting COVID shots every six months, probably for the rest of our lives. And this might be the new normal worldwide 
because uh, apparently this thing, and we don't know, you know, if this guy was, you know, an outlier, one in a million, is he one in a thousand, is he one in a hundred? What are the risks for somebody who has been previously infected but not vaccinated? How do children who are exposed to this, how do their immune systems change? Is this just going to be a generational thing? And when today's children who get exposed to COVID and don't get sick from it, but, but now have uh, you know, some kind of a lasting immune response, will they have a different res- immune response as adults than adults who get it? We don't know the answer to any of these questions. But Dave, this virus is not going away. Yeah, you're talking about epidemic versus endemic. But look, there was just another right winger just the other day. I heard him say that because the vaccine only has a temporary, a peristyle only have a temporary uh, effect, it is therefore a therapeutic exactly the same as ivermectin. Do you see that's the nonsense? You see that's I mean, tetanus shots only last for five years. I mean, there's lots and lots of vaccines that you know. When I used to travel a lot in 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 the third world countries, I used to have to get my yellow fever shot redone. I think it was every eight years. I don't recall, but but uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of this going on. Uh, anyhow, Dave, we've we've kind of hashed it out. Thank you for the call. You know, how is it that Americans don't know that John Eastman, Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump had a plan to keep Trump in power, and Sidney Powell, his lawyer who said that she had Justice Alito in her pocket on this thing. Sam Alito on the U.S. Supreme Court. Why is it that most Americans don't even know that these people had an actual written plan to overthrow American democracy that almost worked, but for four or five people blocking their plan? And Trump is now taking out those people who blocked his plan. He's absolutely taking them out. Why don't Americans know this? Well, when you've got an alternative media ecosystem with stories like I just shared with you, it's amazing to think that anybody even realizes that a coup attempt happened. I mean, when you've got a quarter to a third of America believing this kind of bizarre, these kinds of bizarre lies and half-truths, How does anything get through? You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Steve in Phoenix. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? Oh, good morning, Tom. Uh, a couple of quick things. Yeah, I got my third COVID shot uh, about 10 days ago, and I'm, I'm doing good. Hey, good on and, you. Uh, I'm booked for uh, next week, uh, or the week after next. Louise is next week. Cool. Hope it goes good for both of you guys. Thank you. And uh, lastly, you know, before I move on to my thing, I hope Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema do the right thing and stand up and save democracy. I do, too, but, and, I, uh, and, they're, and they're starting to make noises like they're moving in that direction, which I find encouraging. That sure is. That sure is. That's great. Um, we were talking about guns here a little bit ago, and on August 25th, Wednesday, uh, we were over to Redondo Beach you know, to get out of the heat here, and uh, you know, for a few days and stuff. And uh, it, it, about 8:10 in the evening or so, um, we were sitting at Tony's on the Pier Restaurant, and we've been going over there. I've been there 30, 40 times in the last 40 years, and um, all of a sudden we start hearing bang. Then four more bangs and stuff. And I thought somebody was shooting off fireworks. Come to find out, all of a sudden somebody yells out, there's an active shooter, you know, um, in front of the parking garage um, on the sidewalk in front of the rocks. Wow. We're sitting in a window table wow. and it, about 50 yards away. Did you hit the floor? And he could have easily turned and, 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 and shot us. Yeah. He did shoot two, two people that were by the garage there. And if we'd have went down to... Uh, farmer's market to have lunch and came, you know, 45 minutes later, we'd have walked right into him. As it was, you know, we parked our car on the ramp and we had to walk um, right past that way anyways, but this was, you know, before he was there. Yeah. Um, the cops came. We had to all hit the floor. Um, I yelled out, can you turn out, turn out the and lights, you know? Um, and and uh, the cops came, shot him, and he went back onto the rocks. Then they couldn't find him. Then they were worried about another shooter, um, so they you know herded us into the kitchen, and then after that they evacuated us because they were still worried about other shooters. We couldn't get our car, our SUV, and we had to walk back to our hotel. Yeah, this is a new uh, normal in America, Steve. I mean, oh, a new yeah. normal as of you know starting about 15 years ago, I'd say. It's terrifying, and I and I you know it can happen. It could happen to us again. It could happen to you. Could happen to anybody, anybody, anytime, any place, and it's terrifying. And like I've said before, um, we, you used to see those signs in the airports: "Look out for, don't go to Lagos, Nigeria, and stuff." It's right. terroristic. When when do we get labeled in that same fashion? Oh, it's already happening. That, I mean, there's a lot of European tourists who won't come to the United States because they're afraid of gun violence. It's uh, and Australians as well. Uh, I've heard it from from you know numerous people over the years. Uh, no, I would never go there. I, you know, I don't want to get shot. I mean, you know, it's, there are more guns in the United States than there are people. And we're the only developed country in the world that that's true of. And, and you know, it's all about making money for the gun industry. Steve, thanks for sharing your story and making coming. it real for people. I, I, I appreciate it. Cynthia in Wilmington, North Carolina. Hey, Cynthia, you've, uh, you wanted to go back to our conversation about European politics? I did. And also the connection to guns. Uh, your rant kicked up. A strong memory for me from being 
uh, in Europe visiting my daughter who was doing her semester abroad in Germany, and this was in 2015. Mm -hmm. And in so many places we went, in Germany and in Italy, people would ask us, why do Americans love guns more than people, and why are they leaning more and more towards fascism? Wow. And it was it was incredible because this was a few few years ago. I'm a lifelong liberal. My whole family are. And I would first say you need to know it's not all of us. Mm -hmm. It's not the majority of us. And that my prayer for my generation, the retired ones and my kids generation is that the leaders who are not fascist and authoritarian and the courts and the media will not allow it to happen. Mm. And I guess I think of where we are now and am I really naive? No, I, 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 I still so have a lot of hope for this country. Law. I still have Do a lot you, of hope. But, but you're right, what, Cynthia. I mean, you know, other countries, they look at us. I mean, you know, nobody goes broke because somebody got sick in Germany. Uh, everybody can go to college in Germany or trade school if they're capable of it. Uh, there, you know, there's plenty of housing. They don't have a, a big problem with homelessness like we do in the United States. They don't yeah. have a gun problem, and yet we're describing yeah. Merkel, who oversees, you know, who has run this country for 16 years. We're describing yeah. her as a moderate or a conservative. Really, right. a moderate or conservative no in the United sense. States would call all that stuff socialism, communism. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I try and hang on to hope for my kids and my grandkids, but boy, it's hard. Yeah, well, we have no choice. Uh, you know, despair is not an option, Cynthia. I mean, quite literally, despair paralyzes people, as Franklin Roosevelt pointed out. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You know, par nameless, paralyzing fear. We cannot go there. We have to keep our eye on what's ahead of us and move toward it. Cynthia, thank you for the call. And thanks for sharing your experience with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. This is kind of out of left field. And I confess it hadn't even occurred to me. Harold Meyerson wrote a piece for the American Prospect saying, hey, Democrats, instead of trying to pass a 10-year piece of legislation for $3.5 trillion at the rate of $350 billion a year that does all these cool things, you know, affordable child care, universal pre-K, Medicare coverage of vision and hearing and dental care, paid sick leave, child tax credits, tuition-free community college, and uh, mitigation of climate problems, instead of trying to do that for 10 years, why don't you just try doing that for four years? Or you could even say, why not try doing that for three years? And that way, the 2024 election becomes a referendum on do we want to continue these things or not? Do we still want, you know, after for three years, people have had affordable child care. They've had universal pre-K. They've had Medicare coverage of vision and hearing and dental. They've had paid sick leave. They've had all those things that conservative Angela Merkel made sure that Germany kept during the 16 years she was president or uh, chancellor, and in some cases put into place. 
it'll be a hell of a lot harder for Republicans in 2024 to say, uh, yeah, we're going to vote against all this. Just like it's really hard for them right now to say, uh, you know, vote for me, I'm going to take down Obamacare. When was the last time you heard a Republican say, we got to end Obamacare? I realize Trump says it, but, you know, everybody, nobody takes him seriously. I mean, there's a whole lot of people who take it very seriously about his racism and about his xenophobia and about his hate and, and all those things. But, you know, when it comes to doing it, with, yeah, they just know it's not going to go away and hate it's not that bad. So just a thought. I just wanted to toss that out there. What I did want to talk about, though, in larger frame is this memo that John Eastman wrote. John Eastman is a constitutional law uh, scholar is how he presents himself. He, uh, for quite some time, I mean, he was a top legal advisor to Donald Trump, but before that, uh, you know, he was taken very seriously. Federalist Society, all this kind of stuff. You know, he's a big shot right-wing lawyer. And it turns out that in the weeks before Trump's uh, before Trump incited the January 6th riot, the attempt, the coup, the attempted coup, that Eastman laid out in a memo what you and I were talking about on this program almost two years ago. And I wrote a couple of op-eds about this. You can find them over on, I think the, 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 the largest and most comprehensive was published mostly on Alternet and Salon.com. Uh, this is before I was doing Hartman Report. And and what I pointed out was in the election of 1876, Sam Tilden won the majority of the popular vote and won the majority of the electoral vote. But he didn't end up president. Rutherford Hayes ended up president. Sam Tilden, the Democrat, even though he won both the electoral college vote and the popular vote, ended up not winning the White House. And the reason why, in part, was because you had four states where the election was being contested, where there were, there were two slates of electors being sent to Washington, D.C. One, the official slate from the state, and this was uh, uh, the three southern states and Oregon. Oregon was occupied by the Klan at the time, seriously. And, and the three southern states were occupied by the Union Army in 1876. And so these four states all sent both a Tilden slate of electoral college people, the electors, to Washington, D.C., and a Hayes slate. And so what happened was the vice president was unable to say, hey, I'm certifying the election, and it got thrown into the House of Representatives. And in the House of Representatives, each state has one vote. And so this was John East, and, and I laid this out two years ago in an op-ed, actually in several op-eds that I wrote, and I talked about it at length on this program, in fact, I remember we had Ro Khanna on the program one day, Congressman Ro Khanna, and I laid this out for him, and I said, you know, what do you think? And he's like, well, that's a novel theory. I, you know, it's, and, and I, I don't think anybody really even knew about this two years ago, but John Eastman did, and I don't think he learned it from reading my piece. This is just part of our history. That if states send competing slates of electors, then it really is up to the House of Representatives to decide who won the election. And there are 26 states out of 50 that are controlled entirely by Republicans that would send Donald Trump slates. And so Eastman laid out in this memo, this step-by-step -step memo, 
He said the key to the scheme is the creation of competing slates of electors in Georgia and six other so-called disputed states. Doesn't matter if there is actually a dispute. He just wanted them to send them. He said a majority of the electors appointed, he said, first of all, he said that uh, Pence would unilaterally announce to the joint session of Congress on January 6th that, quote, because of the ongoing disputes in the seven states, there are no electors that can be deemed validly appointed from those states. This is what happened with those four states in, 17, in 1876. This would reduce the total number of available electoral votes from 535 to 554. At that point, there are 232 votes for Trump and 222 votes for Biden. Pence then gavels and says Trump is reelected. Just take those states off the board. Plan B is what I just described a minute ago, which is to get competing slates of electors. And he says, and again, in his memo, Republicans currently control 26 of the state delegations. The bare majority needed to win that vote. President Trump is reelected there as well. By the way, this memo came out last week, and not one major news source, Brian, uh, Brian Seltzer pointed this out on Sunday on his uh, program about the media, on the media, I think it's called. Not, CBS didn't report on it, NBC didn't report on it, ABC didn't report on it. it was, uh, there were articles about it in the Times and the Washington Post, but they were not screaming front page headlines. And then, of course, they had a plan C and a plan D. Plan D, by the way, was the attack on January 6th. Just shut it all down and let Sam Alito sort it out in the Supreme Court, which is why Trump and Giuliani were calling these Republican senators. So why doesn't everyone, why doesn't everyone American know that there was actually a plot in the White House that was written down by this Federalist Society lawyer who was a senior advisor to Donald Trump, John Eastman, that they actually tried to execute that would have ended democracy in the United States and turned Donald Trump into a dictator for life. Why is this not common knowledge? There was actually down in Georgia, the uh, chairman of the Georgia GOP, David Schaefer, on uh, December 14th, had a meeting of Republicans in Georgia, and they came up with their own slate of electors that they, that they were going to send to Washington, D.C., as part of this plan that Eastman had put together. We don't know about any other states, because I don't think it's been well investigated, but we know that this happened in Georgia. Georgia tried. Now, he got shot down by Brad Raffsenperger, the, uh, the Secretary of State, who did the right thing, but that's why Trump is trying to replace him right now with, uh, what, Jody Heiss, I think his name is, the, the, the right-wing congressman from Georgia who is a Trump, Trump humper. But Georgia actually had two slates of electors ready to go if their Secretary of State would have just gone along with it. The Republican Party had their own slate. Was that also true in Wisconsin? We don't know. Was that also true in, in Arizona? We don't know. Was it, was it true in any of the others, you know, so-called Pennsylvania? We don't know. But right now, what they're trying to do and what they are doing, they've changed the election laws in 20 states so far. What they're trying to do is pull this off again in 2024. Whether it's Trump 
who's running for president or whether it's a Trump uh, smarter than Trump, slicker than Trump, probably more ruthless than Trump, not quite as damaged goods as Trump, a uh, Republican candidate, somebody like Rick Scott from Florida, who is very bilingual, very rich. His company committed the largest Medicare fraud in the history of America. He made a pile of money. I didn't know, you know, nobody's talking a lot about Rick Scott, but I'm telling you, look out for Skeletor here. He's coming. Or Ron DeSantis or Josh Hawley or Tom Cotton this morning. He thought he could make some points by trying to attack General Milley on TV. But these guys are getting ready for when they lose the 2024 election, taking power anyway. They've got their plan. It almost worked with Trump. It literally almost worked. There were about four people that you can identify, an elections official in Michigan, the Secretary of State in Georgia, the Secretary of State in, in Arizona. There's a ha handful of people that you can say, if those people had been Trump holes, Trump would be president right now and America would no longer be America. And that's, that's what we, you know, get ready. This is coming. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And I want to know why the American media doesn't have their hair on fire about this. Why are they not talking about this constantly? We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.